0: Good morning. I already had the opportunity to introduce myself, but if you weren't here earlier, my name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church, and we're doing something special today. At the beginning of this year, um, we challenged everyone in our church to pick a word for the year—a word that would represent something that you knew God wanted to do in you, something that He wanted to grow in you. And so, we asked everyone to pick one word that would sort of summarize that that idea, and We as a church also picked a word. And so the elders and staff of Element Church and the leaders got together and we decided we would come up with one word for our church that we would talk about occasionally. Now, four times a year, we hit this unique situation where we have five Sundays in a month. And so we decided that every time we hit one of those fifth Sundays, whatever study, whatever book we were going through, we would stop. And we would revisit this idea and this word of the year. And so this is actually the fifth Sunday in August. And so we are jumping back into this whole idea. And so the word that we picked for our church for this year uh, was the word margin. And so here's how we sort of define margin. Margin is the difference between what you have and what you need. Now a lot of us know how margin works on a piece of paper. All of our students who are in school right now, you understand the margin that goes around your notebook paper. There's a space between what you have and what you need. But we've been talking about building margin in our lives. And so in week one, we talked about financial margin. Financial margin is the difference between what you need every month and what you have every month. And whenever what you need is greater than what you have or the income that's coming in, you've got a problem. So why would we talk about that here? I mean, this is not a financial planning seminar. This is a church. Why would we, why would we talk about something like that? Well, for a couple reasons. One is because the Bible and Jesus, even himself, taught us that there is a direct connection between our heart and our wallet. See, the Bible teaches that it's good and it's right and it's okay to have stuff. What the Bible also teaches is that it's not okay when your stuff owns you. And God wants your heart and he can't have it as long as your heart is tied to something else. And the other reason is because one of the most common consistent themes throughout the whole Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is that God's people are called to live lives of wisdom. And that's been a theme that we've run through this whole series, each one of these messages. And the Bible teaches... That wise people have financial margin and foolish people devour or spend everything they have. Now that's as much as I'll say about that message. If you were not here for that, that full message you can listen to or watch it uh, from our website or our church's YouTube page. Now the second time we hit a fifth Sunday and we revisited this idea and talked about margin, Uh, we talked about building time margin in our lives time margin is the difference between the time you have, which by the way is the same for everyone in this room. Nobody here gets an extra hour, extra day. We all have the same amount of time. And so time margin is the difference between the time you have and the time commitments that you have. Now again, why would we talk about this? This is not a self-help group. This is a church. Well, the reason we would talk about this is because our culture says what matters most is efficiency in life, getting as much done as humanly possible. But the Bible teaches us that what matters most is not efficiency, but effectiveness. It's not about getting as much possible done as you can, it's about doing what matters most. And so as we looked, the Bible teaches that wise people have time margin in their lives by setting priorities. Wise people don't let the world control what they do. They establish priorities about what matters most in their life. And those priorities then inform what we do, what we don't do, what we say yes to, and what we say no to. Now, today we're going to take another approach to building margin in our lives. And today we're talking about building moral margin in our lives now what i want to do is to help illustrate this idea is i want to look at something that creates margin in every one of our lives and that is guardrails guardrails are a way of creating margin in our lives they create margin on the highway margin to protect us from the safe zone from the danger zone now guardrails are placed in three primary spots Um, areas with steep drop-offs like bridges or cliffs Um, they're placed in medians and they're placed at curves obviously they're placed on on steep drop-offs because there's catastrophic danger on the other side of that boundary They're placed at medians to protect us from oncoming traffic, and they're placed at curves because those are often sudden and unexpected changes of direction. Guardrails help to minimize damage. I don't know if you've ever hit a guardrail, but I can tell you that the damage created by by a guardrail is far less significant than the damage that's created on the other side of it. Guardrails create margin on the highways to keep us in the safe zone to help avoid going into the danger zone. Now, let's realize this. Nobody plans to wreck their lives any more than people plan to wreck their cars. Nobody ever says when they wake up one day, you know what? I'm going to wreck my life today. And I'm going to try to destroy my marriage and the respect that my kids have for me. Nobody ever says, hey, you know what I think I'm going to do today? I am going to steer into oncoming traffic and I'm going to kill my self-esteem, my self-respect, and the way I view myself possibly forever. Nobody woke up at the beginning of this year and said, you know what my one word for the year is going to be? Regret. Pain, destruction. You know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to work really hard this year at losing and destroying my job, my reputation, and my future. Nobody ever says that, but it happens, doesn't it? It happens. It happens to good people, it happens to Christians. And you know what they say? I never thought it would happen to me. Here's what we know about all of us and just human beings in general. Is that all of us love to live life on the edge. All of us wanna know where's the line and how close can I get to it? Take the speed limit for example. Some of you are like, oh, I'm already uncomfortable. <laughs> if the sign says 60, no one in here is going 40. All of you are going up to the line. Now the question is, what line? Some of you, your line is what the sign says. Probably for most of you, your line is at what point you think you'd get pulled over. So if you think you'd get pulled over for going 67, 60. Six, then your line is 65 right all of us we want to know where's the line and you when it comes to driving you everyone in Harold will define that a little differently I don't think the law defines it differently for everyone but we sort of define it differently for ourselves we want to know where's the line I'm going to get right up to the line that's how we all live most of our lives now listen, let's be honest, there are some lines that if you cross it, it doesn't really matter, really. Like, the speed limit. Like, if whatever that line is, whether it's what the sign says or what you've determined you would get pulled over for, if you go over it, the consequences aren't that big, right? Like, even if you were to get pulled over and get a ticket, okay, you gotta pay some money, you move on with your life. Uh... If you spend a few extra dollars beyond what your budget says, not the end of the world. If you go over just by a few calories over what you're supposed to, not a big deal. Come home a few minutes after you said you would come home, not the end of the world. But there are some lines. There are some lines that if you cross it, you pay with it. Pay it For the rest of your life. There are some lines that if you cross. Kids grow up without a dad in the home. There are some lines that if you cross. You carry a label. And self-doubt for the rest of your life. There are some lines that if you cross. You lose your job. A lot of us want to know, where's the line? Whether it's with speeding or other things. Like, where's the line between competitive business practices and fraud? Where's the line between lying and just not saying everything? Where's the line if you're single or if you're married? Where's the line where a a relationship with someone of the opposite sex at work, where is it appropriate and inappropriate? And while some things don't carry dire consequences, some of them do. And when we live our lives on the line, when we live our lives on the very edge, morally, it only takes one misstep to lose everything you love. It takes one moment of weakness. It takes one bad day to throw everything away. Margin is about building space between us and that danger zone. Now here's what we're going to do. We're gonna look at what the Bible has to say about this idea. We're going to see some principles and ways in which the Bible is going to give us some insight. Here's the reality. Everyone has moral limits. Everyone. Even the most extreme libertarian or liberal person, if you push them far enough, would say at some point, okay, well, that's not okay. Okay, that shouldn't. So the question isn't, are there limits or should there be limits? The question is, where are the limits? As Christians, we hold the Bible up to a very high standard. We we allow the Bible to have the authority in our lives to determine where we draw the line, what's appropriate, what's inappropriate. We allow the Bible to dictate where our morality lies. Now, You could be sitting here, and you might not buy into the whole Christianity thing. Religion, faith may be something you're not quite sure about yet. You might be sitting here going, I don't give the Bible that kind of authority in my life. And here's what I would say. As we go further today, don't tune me out. Just listen to the things we're going to talk about. And then at the end, ask yourself this question. Would my life be better? Would my marriage be better? Would my relationship with my kids be better if I followed some of these principles? The Bible will do two things for us. One, it will draw the line of what's acceptable, what's not, what's appropriate, what's not appropriate. It will draw those lines of morality for us. The other thing it's going to do is it's going to give us principles on how to establish margin or guardrails in our lives morally. Here's what we're not going to do. Most of our time today will not be, actually very, very little of our time, we'll be talking about where those lines are drawn in every aspect of life. I mean, there are almost a limitless uh, different directions we could go, and the Bible speaks to those. There's just no way we would have the time together to actually cover all those They're in the Bible. We're just not going to hit all of them or hardly any of them. What we are going to do is talk about the principles for establishing guardrails in our lives. And we'll allow those guardrails to then inform how we set up moral margin in all areas of our life. And so I want to begin in Matthew chapter 5. And this is Jesus speaking to a very, very large crowd in what is probably Jesus' most famous sermon. And he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Here's principle number one. The line isn't where you think it is. Because here's what culture tells us. The danger zone is at the bottom of the cliff. What Jesus would teach us is, no, 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 the danger zone starts at the top. We often think the danger zone is when you destroy your life completely when it's too late. And Jesus says, no, 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 the danger zone starts far earlier than you're giving it credit for. You have heard where the line is But I'm telling you, it starts long, long before that. So the first thing that we have to recognize is that sometimes where we think the line should be drawn is actually too late. Jesus would say the line comes much sooner. Let's look at another one. Ephesians chapter 5. But among you there must not even be a hint sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity or of greed because these things are improper for God's holy people. Not even a hint. Wise guardrails create a margin of safety. We talked about the line isn't quite where most of us think it is. And then as we talk about building margin, that space between that line and where we stand, the Bible says that there shouldn't even be a hint. Not, doesn't say, hey, don't jump off the cliff. It says there shouldn't even be a hint. You shouldn't even be flirting with the edge of the danger zone. Now, I told you we weren't gonna go through and talk about where does the line get drawn in every aspect of morality, and we're not going to, but we can at least just discuss some of the implications of this particular passage. So what would be a hint? Guys, gentlemen, does looking through the Victoria's Secret catalog count as a hint? Would that be just a hint? Hint? ladies Just checking in to see what your old boyfriends up to Does that sound like a hint What about talking about your marriage struggles with someone of the opposite sex I mean it's not an affair but is it could you label as it just a hint What about TVs or movie? Or TV and movies? Kind of pluralized the wrong one on that one. (laughs) I mean, there's some obvious stuff, right? But Where do you draw the line for just a hint? I mean, we would, probably most of us would reject the extreme stuff, but like, where's just a hint? What about books or magazines? that make you think about someone you're not married to? Could that be just a a hint? Because the idea of guardrails isn't just to keep you from the bottom of the cliff. The idea of building guardrails is to keep you from the edge of it. And the Bible says, don't even let there be a, a hint Let's look at another one. Still in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This is the passage that we used uh, when we were talking about time margin. Remember I said that one of the most consistent constant themes throughout all of the Bible is the idea that God's people are to be wise people in contrast to foolish people. And wise people make the best use of their time. I want to look at the beginning of this. Look carefully then how you walk. Now, depending on what Bible translation you may be using, if you opened up the Bible app, like if you use that QR code, the translation we have here is already laid out for you in the Bible app. But you may be looking at something else. Like if, if, if you're looking at the New International Version, it says something along the lines of be careful then how you live. And the reason is because in the original Greek language, the word that's translate walk can also be translated to live. It's this idea of how you carry yourself when you go about life. Be careful, then, how you walk. Be careful, then, how you live. Why? Well, a big reason is because the days are evil. Let's be honest. There is oncoming traffic in your life. There are things in this world that are trying to go against what God has called you to do, where God has called you to go. Guardrails sometimes serve as that median space to protect us from oncoming traffic. This world is not a friendly place for those who want to honor God with every aspect of their lives, including morality. Be wise. So here's our third principle. The question isn't, what can I do? The question is, what is wise? And if you will start asking that question, it will change some of the things that you do. Because there's a lot of things of like, what can I do? But then you start to switch to say, what is wise? And it completely reframes the whole situation. Listen, is there anything sinful about having a coworker of the opposite sex number in your phone? No. Nothing sinful about it. There are times when work will necessitate communication. Is it sinful to send them a text message? No. I mean, I guess it could depend on what the text message is, but in general, no is it wise At 11:30 at night is it wise to text a coworker of the opposite sex Not can you do it is it legal is it is it a sin or not which those are valid questions but is it wise That's the question as people of God we should be asking not Where's the line? How far can I go? What can I get away with? But what would genuinely be wise in my life? Let's look at one more. One more. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Principle number four, you're not good enough to live without guardrails. I know it sounds harsh. God said it, not me. I just put it in a seven-word phrase. None of us are good enough to live without guardrails. This is what that passage just laid out. This is the progress that we go from temptation to death. Here's what our society says this is the danger zone. Avoid death, avoid destruction, avoid ruining your life, ruining your business, ruining your reputation, ruining your marriage, ruining your relationship with your children. Avoid death. That's the danger zone. But here's what the Bible's trying to teach us it's a little bigger than we think. All of us are going to be tempted. Jesus was tempted. But that passage out of James tells us, don't blame others for our sin. Don't blame God. Don't blame God for your sin. Don't accuse him of putting you in that situation or, well, this is just how God made me. Don't try to blame outside forces because sin comes from your own desires because all of us are sinful all of us have a bent towards sin and sinful desires and guardrails aren't just about preventing us from hitting total destruction and death they're about keeping us in the lane so that we're traveling the direction God has called us to travel, so that we can end at the destination God has designed for us. Guardrails are there to keep us safe, because me and you, neither one of us are strong enough to live without guardrails, because all of us have that desire for certain things. My desires are different than yours. Your desires are different than the person you're sitting next to, but all of us have sinful desires. We can't blame outside forces when we sin because they're births within our own heart. So let me give you a few closing thoughts. And these few closing thoughts are not, thus saith the Lord. They are, thus recommends Pastor Adam, okay? I've been in ministry for almost 20 years. I know, I don't look that old. Thank you. Um, about half that time maybe a little less than half that time has been primarily directed at working with college students and teenagers and so my first advice from adam is directed towards really young adults and teenagers so this one's for you or preteens. we got some of those in here here's the question i get all the time or used to especially when i was in that ministry setting how far is too far Now, most of you know what is meant by that question. We'll just leave that there. We won't explain it any further. How far is too far? We always want to know where the line is, right? Where's the line and how close can I get to it? Here's just some advice. How far are you comfortable with your future spouse going with the person they date right before you? Probably not as far as you were thinking. Here's another question you can ask. How far is too far? The moment you would no longer be comfortable discussing what you're thinking about doing with your girlfriend or boyfriend's parents. If you're not comfortable talking to them about it, then it's a pretty pretty good indication where that line should be. Married people, where should your guardrails be? Here's a great point of advice wherever your spouse wants them to be. The day you said, I do, you said, my life is no longer mine. So where does your spouse want that line to be? What are they comfortable with? And the moment they say, I'm not comfortable you you watching that TV show, guess what? That boundary was just put up for you. If they say, I'm not comfortable with this kind of connection or communication with a coworker, there you go. I'm not comfortable with this kind of activity online or on social media, there's your guardrail. Does that mean if you cross that particular boundary, you're instantly in that death, danger, destruction zone? Maybe not. But the guardrails are not just designed to keep you from the bottom of the cliff. They're trying to keep you from the edge of it. Because when you live your life at the edge, it only takes one misstep. And here's my last one, parents. Parents, it is your job and it is your God-given, Bible-given responsibility to set guardrails for your children. It is not their job, it is your job. it is your job to sell the guardrails for your children to keep them safe. In our household, we set some fairly extreme guardrails. For example, we don't let our kids have sleepovers at anyone else's house, period. It makes us extreme, my kids hate it. Here's the deal. I don't control what happens in other people's homes, but I do control what happens in mine. I have complete control over what internet access is there and what filters are on it. Parents, you don't control who your kids sit next to in class or at the cafeteria table, but you most certainly have control over who they spend time with outside of school, who they're hanging out with, who they're communicating with, And I'm not just talking about when they're five. You control that. It's your job to set safe, wise guardrails for your children. It is your job to set guardrails on what they have access to on the television, on the tablet, on the phone screen, on the computer. That is your job. It's your job to protect them. It is your job to set up guardrails to keep them not from the bottom of the cliff when it's too late, but from the edge of the cliff so that there's no worry about if they have one weak moment, if they have one, one thought, one desire, you don't want them to be one step away from destruction. It is your job. Parents, it is your job to control your kids' access to social media. I'm not telling you what is and is not appropriate for your household when it comes to social media. I'll tell you at our house, there's none of it. And here's why. Every study that exists says that social media is detrimental to teenagers and children. There isn't a study that says it's good or neutral. We have a friend who has a daughter who's now a sophomore in college. When she was in high school, her parents set some pretty extreme guardrails. One of those was no TikTok and no Facebook until she graduated high school. How do you think that went over? Freshman year of college in the first semester, she called her mom for the sole purpose of thanking her for not allowing her to have social media. Despite the fact that she went to a Christian college, everyone she knew was dealing with significant mental health issues, had dealt with significant sexual issues, major relationship issues and even addictions to things online. And she recognized that her guardrails growing up are what protected her from being from being prone to those things. I'm not telling you exactly where the guardrails should be, but parents, it's your job to know what's wise and to set those. How long do you keep guardrails up? Well, you set all the guardrails when they're young. As they start to get older, you start to give them the opportunity to set their own guardrails in simple ways. And as they continue to prove that they're mature enough, to handle and to set wise guardrails, then you continue to give them more freedom. And the moment that they don't, then you just take a step back and wait a little more time. And as long as you are paying for their cell phone, for their food, for their car insurance, or for the house over their head, you have every right to set every boundary and guardrail you want. If they don't like that, they are welcome to pay their own bills. Not thus saith the Lord, just thus recommends Adam. But parents, it's your job to do it. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to close together in one final song. We're going to sing a song titled, Oh, Come to the Altar. And the heart of this song is about for those who have failed and who are broken and who are sinful and the fact that Jesus still opens his arms up to us. Listen, in some way, shape, or form, maybe a few, maybe a lot, we have all failed. And we celebrate the grace and the goodness of God. That even though we have failed in different aspects of morality, he does not turn away from us. But that he offers forgiveness and love and open arms. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for being so, so good to us. Despite the fact that we just don't deserve it. We have failed. We're not perfect. But Lord, we thank you that you, we can still come to the altar, that your arms are open wide, that your love for us does not cease. And So for all of us and in all the ways that we have failed, Lord, we, we repent. We confess our brokenness and our sinfulness. And Lord, we ask, Lord, would you forgive us? Would you forgive us for where we have stepped off the edge of the cliff, where we have stepped past the the guardrails and the boundaries that you have called us to, where we have not stepped up to the plate and done what we were supposed to do? Lord Jesus, forgive us. We want to honor you with our lives. We want our lives to be a testimony to your goodness, your mercy, your righteousness, your purity Lord help us be people that that bring genuine honor to you with how we live every moment every day of our lives we give this moment to you we give this opportunity to you as we honor you as we worship you as we sing your praises to your name Lord be honored by how we sing to you in this moment Be honored by our prayers and our thoughts. By the attitudes and the thoughts of our heart. Lord, we love you. Your name we lift high. We worship you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Will you stand and worship with us?